you're focused on this one person who sent this angry email who probably had a really bad day. Maybe their boss yelled at him or you don't know what's going on, right? Or something bad happened in their life. They stepped in poop on the way to work, whatever it is. But you just made $3,000 from that email. Like, What about those customers? What about those people whose lives are now going to be changed because they're getting your product in their hands? Like, Which one is more important to focus on? The disgruntled person who demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt, they're not going to give you money and they have no intention of giving you money. And so much so that they're leaving or the people who you just sold and enrolled into your program or are shipping your product after them, which one? group of people are more important. This is Superfast Business with James Schranko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schranko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 835. Funny story about today's episode, which I'll get into in just a moment. But my guest today is Chris Orzakowski, all the way from New Jersey. Yo, how are you going? Hey, James. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, this was a funny event because at some point I helped someone out with a promotion and we got really, really good conversions and I commended the person on how good their email was. And next thing you know, I get an email from someone else in the industry saying, hey, uh, buddy, you should know this email is very heavily modeled from a friend of mine. And I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And I felt terrible about it. I went back through the partner and I said, where'd you get this email from? And turns out it was pretty heavily modeled on one of your emails, Chris. And it kind of makes sense because you're the email copywriter.com. And if someone's going to send out a good email, it's probably uh, logical for them to think, I'm just going to see who does email copywriting and I'm going to follow them and I'm going to be inspired by them. So, it was all quite innocent and perhaps a dash of naive from the person involved. From my perspective, I learned a valuable lesson as well because if someone provides me copy for a promo these days, I rewrite it so much that it wouldn't come up in a plagiarism checker. That's my golden standard. Having been involved in that as a third party, I was like hugely embarrassed. I've never cut and pasted anything in my life and I'm constantly talking about how in my own environment, there are many, many clones of my sales page, my website, my business model, my funnels, my emails. Like it happens to me a lot. So I said to you, Chris, why don't you come on the podcast and tell me why this email converted so well and give us some insights into emails. Like just for reference, I still think email is extremely important. One of the, the highest leverage things that we can do. I've had a renewed focus on slowly building a quality email database. I've always had a small database and it's slowly growing and we're just about to crack 10,000 subscribers, which when a lot of people, you know, hear how small my list is considering the seven-figure revenue of my business, they often get surprised because there's people swinging around there with 800,000 lists. But I think one factor is how the list is built. And then the second thing is what you actually do with it. And I want to dig into that. I want to lean on your expertise, but let's start off with why that email worked so well that was sent out. What were the elements in there that the person who got inspired by it may not have been aware of, but it just worked despite that? Yeah. So first thing I'll say is I was more honored than anything else. I was like, wow, this is <laughs> this is really, you know, nice feather in the cap there. Because normally, like I have a lot of people, you know, like you said, when you get past certain sizes, like people see what's working, they kind of model it. You know, I've seen hundreds of copywriters who are on my list who follow me and the stuff that I do. And I go to their website sometimes just check out what they got going on. It's like, oh, the same verbatim, you know, stuff, whatever. It's not a big deal. 
But um, yeah, that email in particular was all about paid advertising and getting all excited about scaling through paid ads. The reason I think I converted so well was because it was a frustration from my own life in terms of spending money on ads, starting to scale, and then just seeing all the things that can go wrong, either through single channel dependency, either through getting net account shut down, or either going through the experience of you know having ads working, working, working. And Facebook always gives you that little hit, that little dopamine hit. And then as soon as you up your ad spend past a certain point, you know, your CPA shoots through the roof and everything. So I think the reason why I converted so well was because it's just a real problem. Like a lot of times when people are trying to write copy, they're trying to say like, what can I say that will resonate with my people? And it's like well, real problems that you're going through, real frustrations, real pain points, real things that like, you know, make steam come out of yours because you're so angry. Like those are the pain points that if you focus on those in your emails, the people that you're selling to are going to resonate because they get it too. It's not like some contrived hook. It's something that they're actually experiencing. So the closer you can get to that, like, yeah, it's about entering the conversation in their mind. But if you went through a problem that you know that they have, those often make the best emails. Okay, so in this case, it worked because your story is the same story that my partner's problems and solutions all focus around. Like, it would have been seeing that email is like, oh, my God, this is exactly who I help. And then the people receiving it were like, this is exactly my problem. I actually can relate to that problem. I think anyone who's ever tried to advertise has had the same frustrations. So, you were just talking about it. It does make me wonder. I had a really successful promotion recently where I talked about a positive situation that happened to me. It was a true positive situation. In this case, I had someone send me an email trying to buy something of mine and they wanted to pay a big fee and I'd quietly built up this asset that was now valuable to someone else. This was my goal from day one was to create something that was so valuable someone else would come along and buy it because they think, wow, that's what I should have made. So, I shared that story and then I had a great success promoting a service or a product where it teaches people how to do exactly what I did. So, the story could, does it have to be a problem that you're solving or can it be a positive outcome that someone would also like to have? I think it could be either or. And the way I look at it is like people are going to put themselves in the shoes of the person in the story, whether it's about the hypothetical you, you know, who you're talking to, your hypothetical prospect, or if it's just a story you went through in your own life. My wife and I recently bought a house, for instance. And so like, you know, I'm emailing every single day. So I'm always just coming up with fresh new topics and testing things out. So I told the story about the whole debacle about trying to buy a house and, you know, we're putting in a bid and losing out because there's 23 other bids and we're going 65K by asking and still losing. And like, it's so funny because when you tell those stories, other people on my list who were going through the same things, so like it resonated with them. They're like, oh my God, I know someone the same thing happened or the same is happening with us right now. And like it builds that resonance. So I think anytime you're just making that bond and that connection, like it's okay to just focus on like pain points and those kind of things. But when you confuse that little bit of storytelling, that little bit of personality, I think for a lot of brands, whether you're selling coaching, consulting services, e-com, whatever it is, like look at society, look at where all the attention is in society. It's on social media, it's on influencers. Like if you look at people's screen time reports, they'll spend six hours a day and they're just watching other people live their life in real time through an Instagram story, through a TikTok, through whatever it is. And like, I don't like doing a lot of that stuff myself. I try to limit that as much as possible. But like, that's what people do. Like, they're obsessed with it, that like voyeurism. So you send out emails every day? Yeah, sometimes twice a day. And are you mostly inspired by just what happens in your life and then you just talk about it? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, my whole view of email is like people trying to climb the mountain, right? Like they're at point A, there's a few base camps and they want to get to the summit, right? What I try to do with all my emails is move people up from base camp to base camp to base camp. I can't remember where I heard this analogy originally, but you know, it's like that's kind of the goal. 
it's almost like kind of Frank Kern's milestone method. Like people are at A, they want to get to B, there's all these milestones they have to hit, right? So every one of my emails focuses on somewhere, like moving them to the next step in their journey. So I'll write about stuff from my life. But what I try to do most of the time, and everyone has a bit of a different like vibe and relationship and dynamic with their list. But with mine, what I try to do is say like, I'm a practitioner. Like I have my agency, you know, we work with clients, we do some more consulting and coaching, we're starting to roll out those kind of things. But most of it's done for your services. So like as much as I can, I'm just trying to show my work, right? And just say, here's the things we're doing. Here's the things we're testing. Here's something that worked. Here's something we noticed. Here's a frustration from a client we heard and tell those kind of stories. So I don't do that with every email. Like sometimes I'll tell like those slice of life stories just to kind of build that bond, that resonance. But most of the time it's just demonstration, 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 demonstration. Because if you just show up and do that every day, people are going to say when they're ready to make that buying decision, whether it is to invest in your services or get coaching from you or to buy your product, like they're going to be like, wow, that dude knows his stuff. Like dude talks about it every single day. He can't shut up about it. You know, it's a story after story case study after case study. I mean, everyone's a little bit different, but that's kind of the frame that I try to take. Seems like there's definite, you know, people who are famous for sending out good quality emails all the time. So Chris is there, Laura Belgray's there, mm-hmm. Andre Chaperon. There are people who, like Ben Settle, send out that email. Some people get agitated by that too. You hear other people say, oh my God, I, there's no way I could send an email every day. My customers would all unsubscribe. What would you say to that person? I had a guy, I had a potential client who reached out one time and he actually said this to me. He had a list of 36,000 people. He looked me dead in the eye on the Zoom call and said, if I send an email to my list every single day, every single subscriber I have will leave. I said, dude, I mean, I understand that's your fear, but I have never, after seeing under the hood of hundreds and hundreds of businesses personally, I've never once seen that happen ever. Like, yeah, you'll get unsubscribed. It's going to happen. But, you know, it's just not objectively true. I just have never seen it. I've never heard of it. You know, like, will you get some unsubscribes? Of course. But no matter what you do, you're going to get unsubscribes. Like, I always like to joke around and say, like, you could have winning lottery ticket numbers and naked pictures of their celebrity crush that you're going to send out. And they're going to say, these nudes weren't tasteful enough. Oh, click unsubscribe. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be some stupid reason people, they're having a bad day, whatever it is. Like, you can't control that. So, like, your email list is for you, for every brand owner like yeah it's about your people it's about helping them up that journey but at the end of the day like you built your business for yourself you built your business to serve yourself the reason you're sending the emails is for yourself because if you can generate cash flow for your business your brand you can grow it you can grow your organization you can provide yourself a better life and that is what's going to give you the motivation to continue to grow so like whenever people come to me with that objection i always say i understand that but what's more important like you achieving your dream you achieving your vision you building the organization and the brand that you know you could where you serve the most amount of people like you know we have some clients that we have to help them get over this hump where it's like, okay, you're focused on this one person who sent this angry email who probably had a really bad day. Maybe their boss yelled at him or you don't know what's going on, right? Or something bad happened in their life. They stepped in poop on the way to work, whatever it is. But you just made $3,000 from that email. Like, what about those customers? What about those people whose lives are now going to be changed because they're getting your product in their hands? Like, which one is more important to focus on? The disgruntled person who demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt, they're not going to give you money and they have no intention of giving you money. And so much so that they're leaving or the people who you just sold and enrolled into your program or are shipping your product out to them, which one group of people are more important? And that's kind of like whenever I present it like that, people are always like, oh yeah, okay, I start to get it. I think there's often a mismatch between personal tolerance and the marketers who are sending a lot. For example, there's one marketer I think of, he's relentless with his offers. It's just like a pitch fest on a launch, which he does a lot of. He might send five or six emails on the last day of the launch and you know his stats will show that he makes more sales. But I would coin the word obnoxious for that. For me, it crosses a line between where you have any respect or compassion for the person receiving those emails. It's just pure selfish greed is the way I feel about it, which would prevent me from doing that for my own audience. 
Even when I do a promotion, if someone sends me five emails or six emails, I'm only going to send two or three (laughs) and they'll be very moderated because I'm keeping in mind, well, hang on, they're also getting two emails a week from me about new episodes of my podcast, which is my constant proof delivery mechanism and value add. And they're probably getting some sequences if they visited my site, whether it's a card abandonment sequence or if they've joined something, they're probably getting an onboarding sequence. So, I have to be mindful. Do you think there's a line that sometimes gets crossed or does an email marketer say, well, there's no such thing as obnoxious. It's just the wrong people on the list. That's a good question. And this is one of the great contradictions. And I actually don't know the answer. I do have thoughts on it, but I don't know what is the objective definitive truth because I see examples on both sides of the spectrum. Like me personally, like there's very, very, very rare times when I'll be like, okay, I'm sending six emails say like normally I do I do a sale for my birthday. And it's like, okay, one day a year, I'll send out six emails because, you know, it's my birthday and whatever. Like people can forgive that and I kind of make a joke of it, you know. But, um, you know, Dean Jackson always says, right, there's people who are ready to buy now and people who are ready to buy not now. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having a frequency of once or twice or honestly, sometimes like even depending on the segments, people are in even three times a day if they are in an autoresponder and then they get a daily and then they get a pocket or whatever the situation is. Like it all depends. Like A, is it good content? Is it helping them? Because if so, like, who's going to say no to more help? You know what I mean? Like, if it's just a pitch, 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 hey, buy this thing, buy this thing, buy this thing. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I buy this thing email on your face so often that it's offensive to me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, those people, like, the cool thing about email is, like, your email marketing system is a filter for your list. And eventually, the people who stick around, like, you do that long enough, and the people you're going to be left with are going to be the headache problem buyers who just flow from product to product to only respond to the hard pitches. So like you kind of get what you deserve after a while, right? Like you could, hmm. that's the cool thing about email. Like it is that filter, like people who resonate with your stuff and who like your stuff are going to stick around. And there's definitely characteristics like demographics, psychographic characteristics that just emerge like common trends and patterns. And, you know, if you've been doing it for long enough, you start to see just the same things that people say and the same things that people like from you and just the same kind of people that you're attracting, right? But yeah, like the hard pitches like that, like, I don't know, I guess if it works for you, great. Like, you know, I'm on some lists, like there's companies like, you know, J. Crew and Lululemon and like some of these other clothing brands. And like, sometimes they'll email Brooks Brothers, they'll email you six times in the day. And part of me is like, man, I can't believe they're doing that. But the other part of me is like, well, okay, it's a you know, billion dollar brand, Lululemon, right? It's like, maybe, you know, I guess you don't get to that size unless you are willing to just crank the dial up. So again, not everyone wants to build that billion dollar company, right? So it's hard definitively, but I think for the kind of people that we work with, and for most people, 99. of people listening to this, like you'll establish that rhythm where you feel good about it. And also too, like a lot of people like, oh my God, you email every day. I had a client one time audibly gasp when I suggested that he go from emailing one time a month to one time a week. And he's like, that's so much. Everyone's going to leave. I was like, dude, you show Facebook ads to people every single day. You retarget them around the internet. You pixel them onto Google and then onto Instagram. And then like, which one's more obnoxious showing up in their inbox with some helpful content? (laughs) Or just stalking them absolutely everywhere all the time. Yeah. And then their spouse starts getting the retargeting ads too, because they mentioned it, you know what I mean? Like it never ends. So like, how can one of those things be obnoxious and the other one isn't? So it's just these little reframes. And again, like if your advertising and marketing is helpful, it's like what Howard Gossett says, right? Like people don't read ads, they read what interests them. Sometimes it's an ad. So if your stuff is interesting and informative and helpful for people, yeah, throw a pitch in there. Absolutely. Do what you got to do, get paid, but you're at least providing some value in that attentional transaction. Do you like Lululemon gear? I do. You know, the joggers, they're nice. They're very high quality. They're very comfortable. <laughs> I got to say, they're my, definitely my favorite pair. Mate, I, this is a Lululemon shirt. I've been told on social media not to mention that as a guy, I like Lululemon stuff. Apparently, it's just for chicks, but Betty Rocker put me onto it. They have amazing t-shirts, undies, shorts, pants, 
socks, caps, really good stuff. I like their stuff. I think they should sponsor this podcast because <laughs> I'm, like I'm pretty much clothed in Lululemon most of the time. It's great. It's unless it's a surf t-shirt or something. They're just well made, you know. Like I've had other companies, but like mm. the joggers, you know, like they got good joggers. The exercise shorts are good. Yeah, like I haven't checked out any t-shirts, but that might be my next purchase. <laughs> Well, they've got a five-year T-shirt that it fits really well. It's very comfortable. The only thing is it's a little hard once you take the label off to know which way is the front or the back, but they have this little insignia on the left-hand side that you can always do a little check. <laughs> so the people who I like for marketing, for email marketing in the clothing industry is Volabec. They do the best email campaigns. They just sell out stuff. I mean, that's like next-level clothing. takes them a year to make some of their stuff out of space-age material or they're using graphene and they have glow-in-the-dark things and T-shirts you can compost when you finish with them and stuff like really progressive. But their email campaigns are the perfect balance of launch. They basically sell out instantly every time they send an email and most of their emails have apologies. It's like the good old server crash but reborn in a limited supply situation. So I've got another question. This is a problem I see you know, just while we're still on the topic of obnoxious I've found in our industry, and when I say our industry, I'm talking more sort of the online marketing world. A lot of companies don't separate transactional emails from promotional emails. So if I buy someone's information product, I'm now going to cop all their next wave of launches. I can't just get product information about an upgrade to the product I bought. So for example, in my business, we put people on a different segmented list. And if you know, in the unfortunate and cry myself to sleep scenario that they want to unsubscribe. When they go to unsubscribe, they'll see several different campaigns and they can choose. They could still stay a member, but not receive a promotional campaign email. We clearly label what they're actually receiving. And I actually saw Mind Valley doing that. So they were good on that. But that is one of my beefs that people are sticking everyone into one bucket and hammering them all with the same hammer. Do you have suggestions on segmentation or best practice that you would talk to a client about? Yeah, I think, you know, it's difficult because depending on the traffic source you're using, where people get to, like where they start that journey, right? Because I've wondered this too with my own list. Like if you run a Facebook ad to a book funnel and someone buys that book, I mean, you want to escalate them up the relationship, right? So what I always like to do with all of these emails is if you don't have a good software, like if you have like an infusion software, an active campaign or one of those really robust software, Clavio if you're e-commerce, like- Or Entreport. Entreport, yeah, that's the other one, right? Like you have those capabilities to have that kind of like segmented opt-out, for lack of a better term, whatever it's called. And I recommend that because it gives people the opportunity to choose their own adventure how they want to interact with your brand, right? Then again, like that's why you have a seven-figure business, with a list that's not even 10,000 people. You know what I mean? Like my list is about 4,500 and I'm not at the seven figure mark yet, but- You will be, Chris. <laughs> You've got the book, haven't you? You got the book. I do, yeah. And that's, it's, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second, man, because I've read that book so many times. It's like burning my brain, but um, that's the thing. Like my list, you know, we're going to approach that by the end of this year, that seven figure mark with a list of less than 5,000 people because of the list health and the hygiene. So everyone wants the big list. Everyone wants, I have 100,000 subscribers. I have 600,000. Like that's great. But like what percentage of that list is buyers? What percentage of those people are engaged? What percentage of people actually want to be here and aren't just kind of being held hostage? Right. So I think it's a good best practice. What I do is I have one account. I use Kajabi and I have, I send all the transactional emails from there. And then I send the marketing emails from ConvertKit. That's my current tech stack. I don't know if it'll stay there forever, but that's what we're using. It seems to work pretty well because there's that clear delineation in terms of style and understanding of like what you're getting and why you're getting it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I also want to reiterate something you just sort of pointed out, and it's important, it's how they got into the email database in the first place. That's a big factor. If you, if you want to chase vanity metrics, yeah, you can do a launch for somebody or you could get all your buddies to promote you or you could run a campaign giving away something that everyone wants, like an iPad, but has no relationship with the problem you solve. Unless you Apple, that's probably the, not a good opt-in strategy, right? So <laughs> yeah. I'd love you to talk about what you recommend in terms of the age-old problem. Like I don't have a database. So there'll be people listening to this who've got 50 subscribers, if that, or maybe they're still tooling around Gmail. You know, they don't even have a professional autoresponder system. They're about to go and get one at our suggestion and they're going to put an opt-in form on their page or start a trial of 10X Pro or whatever they do. What are they going to be using to build their email list? Because you've got to get them on the email list in the first place. So I got a little magic trick for you, right? <laughs> I've done this and added like hundreds of subscribers in a single afternoon just by doing this one thing. It's like four sentences long. Even if you don't have a list, and this is how I started my list, and this is how I grew it from those initial stages of like 273 people to 550 people, and then you know so on and so forth until I had the critical mass and the momentum and the word of mouth and yada, 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 right? But what you do is you just make a post on Facebook. And I remember the first time I did this, the title was like the seven laws of email copywriting. I was like one of my first lead magnets and it wasn't great, whatever. And it's not the one I use today, but it didn't matter. I said that was the title. And then I said, Hey, I'm putting together this thing. It's called, you know, this report or this guide. It's called the seven laws of email copywriting. I'm going to be documenting all the things that I do whenever I write an email sequence. If you're interested, comment below write, you know, email on the post and, you know, play around with the wording, make it sound like you, whatever, or you can use Apple, I don't care as long as you use your own lead magnet, but people will comment. What will happen is it creates this like avalanche, the snowball effect of like there's social proof on the, as people start to comment on it, who are in your kind of like organic warm audience, I call it either on Facebook or Twitter. It doesn't really matter what social platform it's wherever you're following is people start to comment and then other people start to comment because they're seeing people comment and they're, you know, they're making a decision. Hmm, do I want this thing? Do I, oh, wow. 64 comments on this. Yeah. I better grab this too. And then what you do is you just message every single one of those people and say, Hey, thanks so much. You know, I want to send you my thing. Give me your email address. I'll add you to my list. And, you know, I like to put, Hey, if you're interested in this, I will add you to my list and send you this thing when it's ready. I put that in the post so they know that going in and then I just private message every one of them. It takes a little bit of time. It might take a couple hours to do all this, but that's how I went from 55 subscribers to 110 and then from 110 to, you know, like 300 and then from there. And it's a little bit of that sweat equity, but in the beginning, it's like, that's what gets you the momentum. And if you do that and get the 300, 500, 800, a thousand, whatever it is, then you can start making money by serving people and by having that leverage, that EHR, 10X EHR leverage that you get from having an email list instead of having to manually attract and acquire leads and convert them into customers. Yeah, that's a great strategy. I saw a client of mine, Stephanie Parisi, do a similar thing on an Instagram story. She took a screenshot of a checklist that's inside her product and said, hey, have you got this? And she did a poll, yes or no. And it was like the yeses, she's like, you know, can send them a high five. And the noes, she's like, well, this is inside my program. Would you like the details? So it's a conversational route. Those sort of people who are joining the list after an activity like that, they've already been following you. They're interested in what you've got to say. So you're just moving them from one medium to another. I call this a list guarantee. We want people to subscribe on Apple. We want them to subscribe on YouTube. We want them on your Facebook page so that you can reach them in ways that aren't obnoxious, I suppose. <laughs> the other thing is we assume that our client is seeing absolutely everything we produce on every platform. And so we think, oh, we're we're doing too much. 
The reality is, like, even if you had a really hot open rate, I don't know what the industry standards are these days, but I'm going to suggest maybe most people aren't getting more than 25 or 30% open rates on a house list of just generic emails. And that means two-thirds of the people on their email list are not seeing the emails that you're sending automatically, right? I know when people buy products, I'm getting open rates like 65 to 85% or even, uh, you know, the first email after someone purchases is in the 90s. But I would say some of those really big lists are not very powerful. They're watered down. They're not getting the opens. They're not getting the traction. What about other strategies like whitelisting, for example? I was um, told a good technique is to ask people to reply back to you on one of the early emails so that you can automatically float them into the correct part of their inbox next time you send an email because they've proven they're interacting with you. But also, it's a really good point to get feedback or data or to start that relationship on a deeper level. Do you like that technique? I do. Yeah. I use that myself. I've been using that for years. And, you know, as my list has grown, my list health has kind of stayed in terms of like opens, clicks, engagement in general. Like it's kind of just stayed linear. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes as the numbers get inflated, you know, if you have 800 people opening and your list size doubles, but it's low quality, then you'll still have the 800 people. But now the open rate's cut in half. Like I haven't seen that. I think part of it is because I do that in that very first email, this welcome email that gets that 70, 80, 90% open rate. That's the one email that's going to get more opens than any other email you ever send in your entire relationship. So like, if you make that one good, I always say, hey, can you just reply back and say yes, if you got this? Not everyone does it. And that's fine. But the people who are eager, the people who are quote unquote hot leads, right? The people who are like really interested in your stuff and like, they just got done binging, you know, four hours of your podcast, or they read 10 articles in your blog, whatever, they're going to be like, oh my God, yeah, I can engage in dialogue. And sometimes like, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of Dean Jackson, like, you know, the simple approach of just, you know, using those nine word emails and those kind of things. Like, that's a great conversational conversion. It's like Dean talks about to begin those conversations and say, like, oh, what kind of business do you in? Blah, 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 blah. And I've gotten people to reach out and say, yeah, you know, I'm trying to become an email copywriter or I got my e commerce business and I'm not sure what the hell I'm doing with my emails. So it's like, okay, then we could start prescribing solutions, say, oh, check out my blog, check out my podcast. Oh, actually, I got this program for you whatever it might be. And it just helps. And those people, what I found, and this isn't like scientific, I don't have like a chart or a spreadsheet, but those people will continue to interact over the life cycle. Just make it up. All you need to do is say, you know, science says or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a large percentage, but like those people reply back, you know, and you can engage in future conversations with them and they become your best customers oftentimes. I'm a huge fan of Dean's too. If he was here, he'd say, make sure you add one step in between the prescription and that's like a further extraction. Like if someone says, oh, I really suck at my emails and I don't know what I should do, you can reply back, say, well, what have you already tried? Or can you send me a sample of the last email you sent? And then you can deliver real value in advance. So giving them a solution before they actually pay any money, I think is his main technique there. And it also separates out from the masses. I mean, one of the things I hate the most from what people do with emails is they send them from a no reply at email address. That's like basically an F you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They spend all this money getting a customer and then they do anti-marketing <laughs> by saying, listen, you're really not important enough that we could be bothered to read a reply if you would, you know, by chance send one. <laughs> it's insanity. I know, you know, and like some companies, it's it depends. Like I've worked with some enterprise brands who you know, they aren't set up to handle the amount of replies that they would get. And I'm just like, man, like, can we hire someone? Like we just hire one person and that's just their job because there's money in those replies, you know? 
And it's people who are like, if they're going to hit reply on an email and reach out and, t- and spill their guts about the problem that they have, like that's a person who wants that change. They want that transformation. They want that solution. And, you know, it's a win-win because, you know, you're getting paid, they're getting helped, right? Like everyone wins in that transaction. So that's a big place where stuff falls through the cracks. And like with a lot of our e-commerce clients, what we do, like with the abandoned cart sequences that we do, we encourage people to reply back because whether it is an issue with your order, whether you have a question about whatever the product is, like it's not like a store where you can go and physically pick up the product and manipulate it and look, you know, look at the bottom and look at the side. Like you don't know and you're just buying something from a picture on the screen. So there's money in all those conversations. So Chris, what's your thing? Like what are you known for or you would sort of be your 80-20 thing that you plug into a client or that you teach in your programs that you must deliver on this podcast? For someone who's listening, you know, half an hour into this show, already some really fascinating angles and interesting discussion, but what do you think is the go-to Chris theme that needs to get out there? And I got to come up with a cool name for this. I'm still workshopping it, but it's kind of like show people what's going on at the factory floor. You know what I mean? It's like take people behind the scenes of HQ of what's going on in your business. And like we use this a strategy all the time. And, you know, most of the clients that we work with are in the e-commerce space. So they're selling those physical goods. But I do this with my own list. Like five out of my seven emails every week are usually me just, you know, showing you what's going on in the factory floor. The factory floor is us in the writing room, us in the Google document. You know, it's not apples to apples, but, you know, for e-commerce, it's like, hey, what's happening? Like, you know, oh, you guys make fire pits. Like, tell us about the new one you're designing. Tell us about the craftsmanship. And like people love buying from like masters you know there's those shows like chef's table and like you might never cook as good as any of those people not even close to it right but you just people appreciate gyro gym and sushi people appreciate watching master craftsmen at work and just seeing how they do what they do and the magic that they create and those are usually the highest value buyers the people who are kind of enamored by the process so if there's one thing that you do like a lot of people they just try to create emails and like don't create emails just document what you're doing talk about the work that you're doing talk about the pursuit of excellence that you're on because no one's doing this business to suck at it whatever you're doing like you're not producing skincare products to be the worst skincare company or like you're trying to be the best right but are they are companies trying to be the best? I'm thinking of a big barbecue chain in Australia. And what they do is they clone a very good brand. Like I, I like the Weber brand, for example. I went to buy a Weber, but they no longer sell Weber. They now import stuff from China and they give it a European name. Mm. Stick that on the front. So it's just a veneer on chipboard, really. And I, they couldn't really be proud of that. They're not really trying to be the best. They're just trying to gouge the market, you know, off the back of the good product supplier. Yeah. Well, I think the people listening to this podcast, though, are in, in our camp. Definitely. You know? <laughs> the people listening to this, you know, they actually have heart. Yeah. I know my audience are good people. Just I think the word is anecdotally, right? Where I get great feedback from past guests. So I get feedback. People actually respond to my emails and tell me that they liked this particular episode or they got it a point. Even my girl who edits this podcast often sends me a little highlight. She got some value from one thing said in the podcast that we'll put back into our own team. You know, I did an episode with Lane Beachley, who's a world champion surfer. And my podcast editor was really inspired by some of the things she said. So we do have good people listen to this show. Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is it's like Tim Ferriss says, open the kimono. Mm-hmm. And it's like Gary Vee says, you know, document the journey, even if you don't have anything significant yet. On the positive side, when you start out, no one's reading it or listening to it anyway. And, you know, in the general scheme of things, you're not exposing yourself to the whole world. You've got your mum and the two other people who joined your email list to start with in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. 
fact, my mum still comments. She still listens to every podcast episode. So a big shout out to my mum. Thanks for having me. And she often sends me uh, feedback on what things she thought was good in the episode. So you're definitely on trial, Chris. Oh, boy. I hope I impress her. <laughs> uh, she'll be impressed. You know, she'll like that you have a good heart and that you see the good in, in the marketers who are all trying to be the best. So you're saying share your journey. Someone like Dean Jackson would come up with a really cool name for that process, I'm sure, if you ask him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like – what do people watch? What do people pay attention to? You know what I mean? Like even the news, like not that I watch the news, not that I ever would recommend anyone watch, but it's all just story, story, narrative, story. You know what I mean? Like the TV shows that people watch, like there's not a lot of people watching even the shows that are meant to like tell you facts like David Attenborough, Planet Earth, whatever it is. Like it's a story. It's a narrative that they craft. Like we love that stuff. I agree with that. In fact, two points on that. One is when I went to a conference in the United States once and they were talking about getting yourself on TV, like that's not something you'd consider in Australia because most of the population are in massive cities and everything's very expensive. But if you're just in a regular town in, in the USA, which has pretty small populations, it's easy to get on TV. They said, take a fully produced show to them, just like write the narrative Give them everything they need to just stick you in front of the camera and just turn it on where you've got the whole story for them. You're just giving them a story because there's journalists and people in studios who are, you know, they've just been told by their boss, you bring me a story or you're out on your ass <laughs> and you just turn up and I've got this fully ready to go story. And the other thing I noticed, I'm currently on holidays, which is something I do a lot. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a few hours up the north coast of New South Wales on a surfing trip with the family. And I happened to switch on uh, a news show last night uh, while I was cooking dinner because it's all in the same kitchen. And they basically had this full narrative story of, um, you know, a family who was separated by quarantine and undergoing cancer treatment and couldn't see each other. And then they flicked to the presenter and and he says, and by now you're probably wondering what happened, you know, and then they go back to the story. It's like it's fully staged and choreographed. This whole thing is – it was such a weak story, but they turned it into this pantomime, you know, it's this whole thing. And then when they closed it, this was something fascinating to me, the presenter, because at the moment there's a big backlash about vaccinations, right, around you know, travel passes and people are – are wanting to be individual and independent, which I understand. And she said, and remember to get your vaccination. It's really important, isn't it? <laughs> she was like, oh, my God, this is like totally programmed media. She's been fed this on the teleprompter. It's all baked in. So we're seeing these cues, these hypnosis cues, all this stuff is getting baked in to our media. Story put into email is probably the most powerful weapon you've got, right? Yeah. And that's the thing, like it could be used for good. It could be used for evil because it all depends on like what the uh, end goal is, right? Like what are you trying to convince people of doing? And that's the good thing about email is like, you're not forcing your way into their home and by scaring the crap out of them, like the news does every single day. It's like these people signed up to be here. They're coming to you because you can solve their problem. And, you know, maybe you sell, you know, fitness equipment, whatever it is, right? Like it's something that's going to improve their life when they get the product in their hands. It's not going to achieve whatever your goals are as the, the media manipulator person, right? Like it's, it's a very different nuanced thing, but it's just a universal truth about how our brains work. Like people don't even watch movies anymore. You know what I mean? Like they watch these long episodic series and, you know, Andre Chaperone, that dude can like see in the future, right? Obviously, I mean, you know, his stock has just gone up and up and up, you know, ever since the soap opera sequence came out, he was very early on that, understanding that. That. 
And it's so true. You know, with my email and what we try to do with our clients is like, it doesn't matter what you sell. It doesn't matter if you sell bone broth. It doesn't matter. Like there always has to be something going on. Like what's the story? What's the narrative? Like what's happening in HQ? What are you guys doing? What are you guys working on? What's your mission? Sharing all these things makes people feel like they're part of something. Right. So behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. people seem to crave it too. That's why shows like Big Brother became so popular. We want to eavesdrop. We want to rubberneck, you know, (laughs) there's something going on. And news, of course, if it bleeds, it leads. They just keep leaning on the easy. Do you use a story framework when you're sitting down to craft an email? Do you already have it mapped out in your head and then do you articulate it according to a framework? Because I found in my case, when I wanted to go from more cyborg, you know, matter of fact, direct to being a little more EQ and drawing things out and making things more entertaining for my audience because the feedback from people is that's what they prefer. And it was initially not my default position. I found using a little bit of story framework helped me craft emails or even map out podcast episodes. You know, I'll put in the where people are at at the beginning and then create the drama and tension and then they have a call to action that's refused and then finally they have to do it and then they have no turning back and then they go through trials and tribulations and everything that can go wrong must go wrong and then finally they resolve it, the tension's fixed and then they get to share their lesson for the audience and then starts the new loop. So even just being aware of a framework could be good, but do you use that or are you just now, you know, automatically able to just stream it? So there's a few. I definitely lean a little bit. It depends on the story too. Like I've done this every now and again, I'll just tell a funny story that happened in my life. And then I'll be like, what's the point of all this? There is no point. I just thought it was funny as hell. By the way, if you need me help with emails, like here's where to go, you know, and I'll, I'll do my pitch and people always get a rise out of those ones. But, um, what I like to do, I used to be a school teacher before I got in the world of copywriting like years ago. And I used to teach special education, elementary school, language arts. And, you know, I had kids who couldn't write a full sentence and my job was to get them to write, you know, a page or two story. And so it was very hard. And I really like, that's when I learned about frameworks and how to like take someone through, like, don't look at the blank page. Here's the sections that we need to fill in, right? Sentence starters, all those kind of things. So there was this framework that I discovered back when I was a teacher and it was somebody wanted, but so then, right? And like, as long as you nail those five parts, that is like a definitely a more compact, simplified version of the hero's journey, but it's something so simple that a third grader can wrap their head around, right? And a lot of people are not writing at collegiate level, and nor do I think you should, because I don't think adding big words, like you want to keep things simple, you want them to be easily digestible. So somebody wanted, but so then, so somebody, they wanted something, but there was this obstacle in the way. So then they did this, and then this happened, right? So like, that's chopping a couple steps off the hero's journey, right? That's perfect. I think that is the gold in this episode. Can you just repeat the formula? Yeah, it's somebody wanted, but so then. Perfect. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes on this episode 835 at superfastbusiness.com. I'm talking to Chris Ozakowski. There it is. (laughs) It's uh, hard to spell, hard to pronounce. But once you know it, there's only one, right? Yep. Chris behind the scenes, Ozakowski. We'll make sure we give you full credit for that too, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing the email that inspired the email that worked well for us in a promotion. And thank you for coming and discussing some of the subtleties with email. I've got one more point that I think is important, and, and this is hopefully inspirational. If you're currently sitting on an email list and not emailing people, there is an email delivery expert that I spoke to. He's also called Chris. 
And he said, if you don't send your email list an email at least once a week, then you'll get throttled by the email delivery providers. Like your deliverability will start to suffer because they won't take the risk on sending stale emails through their good quality supply because they're you know, by after a week, some people have even forgotten who you are or why they even got on the email list. I still get that from time to time. And, uh, you know, in this fast-paced, high-attention world, how often would you say is the absolute longest you would want to leave your audience without sending them an email? I would say one week is the absolute longest. I definitely agree with that. And also, too, like one last thing I'll say is to kind of piggyback on what you're saying. Like we do live in this like hyper like time just moves so fast. Like you don't remember what you had for lunch two days ago, probably. Right. Whereas because there's so much media, we're always surrounded by it. And there's the Twitter feeds and there's the scrolling and there's this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Look here, look there, look. There, right. So like there's been days when I'll I'll get an email in the morning and a night I'll be like, wait, that was today. I thought that was yesterday. Like, you, our sense of time is so warped that any longer than a week, and people are really going to start to forget. It was a burger, and I can mostly <laughs> remember because in this town I'm staying at, there is literally only two places you could eat at during the day. It's a very small town, and it speaks volume to us. Uh, you know, having limited choices, it increases your chances of taking one of them and remembering it. <laughs> So you're you're in a unique situation, but if you're back home, maybe maybe it'd be a little different. Well, also, I spend a bulk of my time thinking about or creating food these days. It's one of my passions because I'm not working anywhere near as much as most people, and and I literally take four days a week where I don't do calls. So surfing, eating, sleeping are high priorities for me these days. Chris, this is good. I feel like we're on the start of something that could continue. I hope you'll come back to another episode if we get some good feedback or some questions on this episode. What would you like to know about email copywriting? Chris Ozakowski is the man. He's got some good stuff. I can see it's getting dark there where you are. So I'm going to let you go in and, uh, and wrap up. And this is episode 835 at superfastbusiness.com. Plug your website, Chris. Where can we go and learn from the master? Yeah, uh, it's theemailcopywriter.com. <laughs> Says it all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much, James. Appreciate it. See ya. See you later. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Okay.